Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. Let's face it, health, public health, all things health, that is all of our business. And there's no one I'd like to talk to more about this topic than Dr. Bob Arnott, who is uh, a recurring guest on our program, a show favorite and a personal favorite. You know him from his work as a, as a medical journalist for NBC and CBS New York Times best-selling author, and really one of the most engaging personalities I get to visit with on the show. One of those, one of those rare people. You know, uh, Bob, when you've been doing what I've been doing as long as I've been doing it, uh, three decades next year, um, <laughs> you be you begin to become a little callous about guests. It's like, oh, great, it's a guest. So look, another New York Times best-selling author. You know, it, it gets old after a while. Never gets old when you and I chat. <laughs> it does, especially after 30 years. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So after a while, it's like, you know, oh, well, great. Oh, I got a presidential candidate on. That's fun. You, you know, but uh, you, I never feel that way whenever you're on. I always get excited. Uh, frankly, you bring so much diversity of topic and ideas that uh, I just find it really stimulating and always a lot of fun. Love having you on. And... Um, Real quickly, let's let's kind of do a panoramic overview of our topic today because we are in the beginning of a new year, and in the beginning of a new year, I think about some of the big issues that we should be thinking about, and certainly healthcare and public health uh, should be on top of mind in uh, 2023. I almost said the wrong year, <laughs> but uh, talk about that. Kind of give me what what initially comes to mind on this topic, and welcome. Well, you know, it's always such a pleasure to be here, and you do such a wonderful service for your viewers, which is why they're they're, they're so loyal, and I, I am too. Now, um, the interesting thing to me is this. So, as you know, I'm co-CEO of this uh, group, Health Tech Without Borders, and what we do is we deliver care digitally. You go a lot in Ukraine and overseas right now, but with the partners that I have at major medical schools in America, uh, and especially in the emergency front, I just see this almost collapse of the system. As an example, you know, right here in New England, uh, you can't get, by and large, an ICU bed. I mean, let's say you have some terrible disease. Uh, there's nowhere to transfer. Uh, kids now with RSV, we've seen that, this respiratory syncytial virus that is really kind of a peak now. Uh, you can't get a kid, by and large, into an ICU if they need it. And what really astonishes me is I sent a patient into what I consider one of the best hospitals in the whole U.S. for a for a major surgery for cancer. And they did a very good job on the cancer. And then they had a complication, and they just kind of threw up their hands. I mean, people have a chance, or doctors have a chance to do the one thing they do. And, man, if you have any kind of a chronic illness or if you have a complicated problem, it's just, it, it just falls through the cracks. And then with public health, I mean, I just feel so badly, you know, for so many of these southern states, you know, like Mississippi is an example, where they, they almost don't have any public health at all. I mean, you know, the, the clinics and the funding aren't there. People aren't getting their you know, vaccines just for routine stuff. I don't care about COVID, just for, for, for flu and whatnot. And so I just think it's a travesty. You know, we, we have the best potential in the world in terms of you know, medical schools, the training, the expertise, the operations, the pharmaceuticals, but the delivery is just plain falling on its face. Yeah. Talk about, you know, you, you open it up by talking about a, 
a digital approach, virtual approach to healthcare. And I, I keep getting these these stories that I see of, uh, that are, are almost uh, in you know optimism there of what we can do, particularly like with nurse practitioners. Um, and yet it never becomes ubiquitous. So I look at a place like Texas where we're located, where the Price of Business Show is located. And this is a state that has so many miles between small towns, and yet they're not allowed to give uh, nurse practitioners the kind of autonomy they need to be able to service their communities. Uh, they have to be done under a doctor. There's all kinds of really ridiculous restrictions that uh, in states that give more autonomy to nurse practitioners exercise freely. We need to be thinking, in my opinion, more and more in how to give more flexibility to these people in order to make it easier for them to serve these communities. Well, you're so right, because, you know, nurse practitioners can hang out their shingles in something like 38 states. So it's just pure professional rivalry when, you know, doctors can't provide the services because there aren't enough and yet restrict nurse practitioners, which is just plain wrong. You, you know, you asked a great question about the digital delivery of healthcare, and I do think it's a big solution. I mean, as an example, you know, uh, so we have now done 62,000 telemedicine visits in Ukraine, right up on the front line, you know, right in, I mean, imagine in Texas, you can be in a rural community with a doctor in Ukraine, you can be on the front line with their, you know, rockets and uh, Iranian drones overhead crashing into buildings and whatnot. So you have to stay underground and, you know, we, we provide the care. But, you know, we've learned a lot in Ukraine. You know, we can basically deliver 90% of non-emergency care by telemedicine. 90%. It's amazing. And we have you know, the best qualified doctors out of, like, Massachusetts General Hospital. We have 800 doctors who have volunteered there, 600 who have volunteered out of Stanford. Treating, you know, both sides in Ukraine, you know, both the, the Ukrainian side, and if you're, you know, Russian sympathizer in another part of the country, you know, we don't discriminate at all. But I think, the, you know, the interesting lesson here is that how much we can do. For instance, we had this wonderful doctor, Halima Ali. She had this young man called and says, you know, my father's had a cardiac arrest. You know, there's, there's no pulse. And, you know, he's dead. What do I do? She talked him through a complete CPR. He'd never done it before. Wasn't medical. Got his pulse back. You know, the ambulance came. Saved his life. And what it really is, is, you know, it's a matter of training people up. You know, I, I work with this wonderful Dr. Jerome Lee at Massachusetts General Hospital, who's the co-CEO of this group, and they do amazing level training. And what you can get out of telemedicine is extraordinary. And there are a couple of interesting workarounds here. So, as an example, in Ukraine, we're looking at putting a kiosk into bomb shelters. Why? Because the doctors have to deal with amputations and you know, shrapnel in the abdomens or whatnot. So the routine cases, there's no one left for. So the idea is you have a a kiosk, and that kiosk can take your blood pressure, your pulse, it can look in your eyes, it can look in your ears, it can do an echo of your chest if it needs, so it can talk to you. You have a doctor there, and they can bring that all in. Now, imagine you take that kiosk and you put that in a small town in Texas. I think it's a big part of the solution. We have a wonderful hospital, my local hospital here in Stowe, Vermont. It's called the Copley Hospital. Uh, Joe Wooden's the CEO there, wonderful guy. And I was talking to him about how we want to kind of make this like a little regional center of excellence so that all the surrounding little towns, you know, with wonderful names like, you know, Hardwick and Hyde Park uh, can have a little kiosk there so that people can go in there. And even in big cities in Boston now, 
the big healthcare plans are talking about the ability to have telemedicine take up all of the slack. So the doctors are only doing the really emergent specialized care and the rest of it goes to telemedicine. And here, here's really kind of the cap on it. There's this, uh, one of my uh, favorite physicians in the whole world is uh, Ruzio Favre. He's the chair of psychiatry at Harvard. An amazing human being. He will do anything for anybody at any minute. I mean, the, you know, the, the consultations and, and doctors he sent to me have been amazing. But he said this, at the beginning of COVID, 95% of psychiatry was in person. By the end, 95% was telepsychiatry. And here's the most interesting thing. Dr. Favre said, Bob, look, this is going to become the standard of care. So now imagine all the people who have suicidal risks or all the, you know, kids at home, you know, in their teens are having terrible problems, anxiety and depression, and parents can't get them anything. Now you have ubiquitous access to telepsychiatry from any of the centers of excellence. And here's my dream. My dream is this, that, you know, from clinics I've been in Darfur and Southern Sudan, uh, you know, to the Congo, to Kenya, to rural Texas, is that we have the same excellence in care delivered from systems like, you know, the University of Texas system, Massachusetts General Hospital, Stanford, that then are delivered down to anybody anywhere in the world through telemedicine. So I think, as you pointed out here, this is a huge part of the solution. And just to give you a sense of what we're doing now, uh, there's a wonderful company in Massachusetts uh, that makes a butterfly uh, echo device. Now, you know, if you come into the hospital, you know, and you may have an ammonia, you may do a chest x-ray, I, mean, I, do a, I might do a CT scan, or, you know, if you, you have some shrapnel someplace, or, you know, from a, or have a bullet wound someplace, I may, you know, want to order some expensive test that takes a whole room. We do it with something that's a little longer than a pencil, you know, as a couple mm-hmm. inches wide, right at the front line. So this means that instead of someone having to go to a big medical center, you know, your nurse practitioner could have one of these and basically right there in their home or office diagnose that they have pneumonia. So I think it's the solution. And the other part of this that I find fairly exciting, Kevin, is what I would call wearables. You know, if you were to look at my wrist right now, see I have four different watches. I have, this, I have a Whoop watch, I have a Garmin watch, I have an Apple watch. But here's the difference. Now, I, I have it, as, as you find it, as terrible as I have had my whole and so now, instead of just crashing where I go, oh, I can't, I can't breathe, I gotta go to the emergency room. Imagine now that I have a device, and I do, that tracks every day how good my breathing It tracks how many inhalations I'm taking. It tracks if I'm taking too many of the wrong ones. It tracks my oxygen, how much oxygen do I get in my blood? This morning it's great. But with that now, we can intercept so many people who are headed to the emergency room before they get there that so much of acute care just plain doesn't have to happen by monitoring yeah. patients every day, 24 hours a day, with these wearable devices. So I just think, you know, again, our organization, it's, it's a nonprofit, Health Tech Without Borders, but, you know, our whole vision is that, you know, through wearables and digital devices, we're going to be able to provide a much higher level of care intercept illness before it becomes really serious and give fabulous care to people from the most remote parts of rural Texas out to the front lines in Ukraine. It's just a fabulous dream and vision. 
Dr. Bob Arnott. Uh, we've got about four, not, not even four minutes left, so we've got to kind of wrap it up. Uh, I would love to hear how your vision of the kiosk would work. They almost sound like photo booths, and obviously they're only for people who don't have access to uh, computers, so they have to go to a location. Where would those locations be? Would they be malls? Would they be libraries? Talk a little bit real quickly about that as we wrap it up. Well, so a couple of quick ideas. You know, what's interesting in, in many parts of Africa, there might be a single person in a town who has a cell phone. They get the grain prices, they help the farmers out. Imagine now uh, that that woman has a little kiosk there instead. Uh, with Save for Children, many villages in a place like Malawi, you have a, a medicine woman. Now imagine that medicine woman we give a kiosk. Now we're looking and planning with the Ministry of Culture in Ukraine to have those kiosks in bomb shelters. But you ask a very good question here in the U.S. Imagine now you're in New York City uh, or you're in Austin, Texas, and you have a big building that is a Google building with all these employees. Every time one of those employees goes to the doctor, it's a half a day shop. Imagine if in every big building you have a kiosk where you just go up, boom, the doctor can see you, then there's your blood pressure, have you do things, and your eyes, all the stuff you can do with a kiosk. So I see these kiosks as being the equivalent of a mini clinic within big buildings in urban areas and in rural areas. And like where I am here in Vermont, you know, you just, you, almost like the ATMs where you kind of step into a bank on the weekend, the bank's closed, we have an ATM. You just step in and you have a little kiosk. And that could be in a bank, it could be an apartment building, it could be uh, you know, freestanding little building, like you know, a one-room schoolhouse. So easy to do. And again, we're keeping, keeping so far ahead so people are likely to pursue the care because right now they're not going to. You know, it's hard to make yeah. ends meet up here. They don't want to take time off work. They're going to wait until they're deadly ill, and then they're going to pursue it. So I really think it's the future. And you had the best point of all, and that is, look at these nurse practitioners. You know, there shouldn't be all this red tape. They should be given a free reign. But that's true with telemedicine, too. We need to give it a free reign across state. And, you know, our organization is without borders. Those borders ought to include state borders here in the U.S. so that, you know, doctors from the UT system there need to treat somebody in, you know, rural Nevada. They can do it. So it's, it's a lot of red tape there. We need to clear it out of the way and have a vision of, providing amazing health care to people across the board. That's what I call domain level, the level of the very best experts at, at UT or Harvard or Stanford, Mayo Clinic, so that people really have excellence in their health care, which we all deserve, and which without it, we're going to die early or suffer terribly. Yeah, absolutely. Bob Ardott, always love having you on. Dr. Bob, as we call you around here. And uh, personal favorite, show favorite, always a little smarter at the end of our segments than I was at the beginning. Thanks so much. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. It's all such a pleasure. You draw the best out of people, even a, even a poor old country doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I would ever describe you as that, but thank you. I appreciate that. I am Kevin Price. This is the Price of Business. Stay tuned for more.